Hello, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in to the Becker's Healthcare Podcast Series. My name is Jacob Emerson. I'm the insurance editor with Becker's Hospital Review. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Jennifer Heenan and Matt Robbins, who are both consultants at Spencer Stewart. Jennifer is a member of Spencer Stewart's healthcare practice with more than 20 years of combined experience in executive search and healthcare strategy consulting. Jennifer's expertise spans across health systems, academic medical centers, physician groups, payers, and healthcare associations. Matt is a member of Spencer Stewart's healthcare practice as well. He has over 25 years of healthcare industry experience, including the provider, payer, large integrated delivery system, and children's health spaces. Before joining Spencer Stewart, Matt spent 17 years with Advocate Healthcare in strategy, business development, and children's health leadership roles. Jennifer and Matt, thank you both so much for taking the time to be here with us today. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Great to be here. So with that, let's jump right into our topic of conversation today. Jennifer, can you tell us a little bit about more about Spencer Stewart and specifically about the healthcare practice? Absolutely. Spencer Stewart's a global leadership advisory firm that helps organizations find, develop, and accelerate the performance of senior level leaders and teams. We believe an organization's single greatest performance lever is their people, mobilized through leadership, effective teams, a strong and aligned culture, and deep engagement. Our healthcare practice includes 55 consultants globally, 35 of whom are in the U.S., bringing a broad and deep scope of industry knowledge integrated with functional expertise. Our consultants work directly with healthcare boards, CEOs, and C-suite teams, including clinical leaders, across a range of settings. We've conducted more than 2,000 senior executive and board-level searches globally over the past three years, and are proud that 98% of our placements are still in their roles today. Fantastic. Well, Jennifer, I appreciate you grounding us here as we start off our conversation. Let's talk a little bit about deal-making in healthcare today. It's consistently strong, and we've, we've seen a lot of movement both within the sector and outside of it. So can you both briefly touch on some of the deal scenarios you're seeing among health systems today? Sure. Thanks for the question. Uh, large competitive markets across the country are becoming more consolidated with many fewer independent hospitals in existence today than there were 20 years ago with the promise of leveraging economies of scale, increasing access to capital, reducing costs, standardizing care, increasing efficiency, and improving access. And we've seen this trend in the West with systems including Dignity Health, now part of Common Spirit, Group Health, acquired by Kaiser Permanente, St. Joseph Health, uh, merged with Providence, to name a few. There have also been affiliations between academic health systems and community hospitals in Los Angeles, such as Keck USC and Methodist Hospital, Cedar sinai with Huntington Hospital and Torrance Memorial. And this past summer, uh, Amazon made the news when it acquired One Medical in a nearly $4 billion cash deal, which gave Amazon a network of 200 medical offices across 25 markets nationally. Yeah, let, let me, this is Matt, and let me add to that. Um, you know, Jennifer and I are sitting in, you know, two of the three largest metropolitan areas. I'm in Chicago, Jennifer's in Los Angeles, and that's some of our lens. Um, you know, Chicago uh, has moved over the last 20 years from a pretty fragmented market to a, a pretty consolidated market. 
And, you know, I'll start by making it a little personal. You know, I started, I joined Advocate in 2002. Advocate was probably the largest, you know, early system in Chicago back then, 20 years ago. It was a little over $3 billion in revenue, seven or eight hospitals. When I left Advocate, it had completed its merger with Aurora Healthcare in Wisconsin. Uh, it was a um, then a you know thirteen billion dollar plus system with nearly thirty hospitals and as many people know about ten days ago uh, they just completed their merger with Atrium in North Carolina creating a twenty seven billion dollar system so uh, we're seeing a lot of change there but we've seen it with both academic uh, based and community based systems in Chicago in addition to Advocate. Northwestern, you know, 20 years ago was a large academic medical center. It's now a 10 hospital system spanning most geographies in the Chicago area. The North Shore system was probably three hospitals, is now eight hospitals and has moved into uh, into new geographies. And the University of Chicago recently completed a partnership uh, with the Advent system here in Chicago. Um, so we've seen a lot of growth and change in this market. Absolutely. And, you know, Obviously, there's a lot of financial and operational due diligence conducted in advance of these mergers and these acquisitions, but few organizations seem to focus on the cultural, the people, and the leadership implications of these deals, which, as you two know, can often lead to negative consequences for the success of these transactions. So, Matt, talk to us a little bit about the talent issues that healthcare leaders need to pay close attention to within the context of M&A. Yeah, thanks. I think that, you know, certainly organizations... Um, when they conduct their due diligence, free deal due diligence, um, the top of the list is is going to be financial, and some look beyond that, but many don't. And you know, I think there's a, um, a professor at Harvard Business School and and former McKinsey consultant David Fubini. He writes a lot about this and says that you know some organizations really don't go uh, beyond the finance uh, space to explore differences in leadership, differences in culture and governance. Um, and there are a number of reasons for that. They may want to uh, really keep knowledge of the deal with a small, trusted group of leaders. Uh, they do not may not want to alert the external markets to what's going on, uh, or frankly, uh, do anything to cause the deal to be undermined. As we think about um, kind of the leadership factors, what healthcare leaders should pay attention to, uh, including the organizational structure of the new company and how decisions are made. For example, um, how will decisions be made in a much larger and complex construct, a system that may even span uh, multiple regions, multiple states? And for example, what is the role of a regional or business unit president in decision-making? How is it different than it might've been in the past? We also think about cultural dynamics. You know, two systems coming together may look very similar on paper. Uh, deliver similar services, an org structure may be similar, um, but they may operate very differently. One may be uh, very hierarchical in how it uh, operates and makes decisions. One may be uh, seen as very open and collaborative. And finally, there must be an understanding of uh, the critical leadership roles, skills, and expertise necessary for the new company to achieve um, it's vision and strategic imperatives. Why is it coming together and what do they think some of the values of that strategic value will be? A system may be thinking about um, using its increased scale and, and patient base um, to advance population health and value-based care, um, but does it have the leadership team and infrastructure to be successful around that? 
It may be, for example, considering additional consolidation, even being a national consolidator. Does it have the corporate development team and skills uh, to move that forward quickly? Um, so those are a couple examples of things we think uh, that, that systems and leaders need to think about. Sure, sure. It's really interesting. And Jennifer, I'm hoping you can touch on this more about how systems can look similar on paper, but then in reality, they might have different scales, different structures, and that has the potential to for cultural disruption in the new system. So how would you say that Spencer Stewart helps organizations navigate this process and really build effective teams that are aligned with one another? Sure. Well, Related to uh, the last question, and uh, Matt mentioned that culture is important, and it's well understood that culture clashes are a root cause of many failed M&As. And so when two organizations with different cultures and values come together, the conversation surrounding culture becomes incredibly important. For example, when a secular organization joins a faith-based organization or an academic medical center affiliates with a for-profit entity or a physician-led organization combines with an organization where there are fewer physician leaders in place. Surfacing these differences early and having these hard conversations at the right moment becomes imperative. And we work at Spencer Stewart with a number of clients on a number of different post-merger culture and integration assignments. We use our proprietary culture assessment where we help clients assess and define their current culture and facilitate workshops to define and shape their target future culture that's aligned with the mission, vision, values, and business strategy of a new company. And this culture assessment tool is also one that we can then use when conducting an executive search to evaluate potential candidates alignment with the organization and either its current culture or its target new culture. Let's see. Well, let's talk more about these cultural clashes that can lead to failed mergers. Can you both expand on this a little bit and talk about what you think are the critical skill sets that are needed in the C-suite when a health system is going through this process of merging or acquiring? And, and how do you both think this has changed over the last decade to bring us to where we are today? Yeah, I'll, I'll start and uh, with that one. And, you know, as organizations have become larger through M&A and frankly, increasingly through other forms of strategic partnerships, joint ventures, joint operating companies, um, we know that certain capabilities are, are, are of premium importance during integration. And the ability, one of those, the ability for C-level leaders to think strategically is critical as the business scales and as the complexity of systems increases. Um, as we look at in our search business, as we consistently hear the need for, you know, quote unquote, strategic leaders in the C-suite as systems have grown. And this cuts across all roles. It's not just the CEO or the chief strategy officer. But whether it may be finance, it may be nursing, it may be human resources, it may be the chief information officer. Um, and while certainly a past history in operations is important, it really becomes table stakes. And the need to find, if it's a chief nursing officer, the need to find uh, um, creative solutions to workforce challenges uh, for this, for the entire team, looking at six, how we succeed in value in a value-based environment. For a CFO, um, strategic financial management, and really thinking uh, strategically around growth, around and, and around things like 
the, the, the organization's portfolio. Another example is, is his health systems have, have become larger and may have multiple sites in a particular region, they may be thinking about delivering healthcare services differently. And this might result in offers, offering resource intensive services in a single hospital in a region versus at all sites as they may have historically. And this requires you know, a new openness, uh, flexibility, and kind of a different mindset than what leaders may have had historically. Um, Jennifer, I think you may have some uh, uh, additions mm -hmm. to that question. Sure. So in addition to, to really bringing a strategic mindset, another crit critical leadership capability is the ability to collaborate and influence both internal teams, but also external stakeholders. And leaders need to be intentional and transparent in their communications about the strategic rationale for a merger or a strategic partnership or affiliation and cultivate a positive message that increases the likelihood of retaining key leaders and employees and also getting others on board during a period of uncertainty for both organizations. Being intentional about who must be retained and proactive about creating mechanisms to retain them shouldn't be overlooked and promoting collaboration between diverse stakeholders and getting them to work together collaboratively and effectively is a hallmark of successful leaders during a period of change and transition. Understood. So who can strategize best, who has, who's flexible, and who has the ability to collaborate both inside and out is key across C-suite roles. As you both said today, every organization, though, the context is unique, um, and these mergers and acquisitions are unique. So are there, are there overarching must-dos you both see for, for boards, CEOs, and other senior executives to really ensure that they get the people side of a merger or acquisition correct. Matt, let's start with you on this one. Yeah, I, th I think there are a few things I would note. Um, first, it's important to understand, as Jennifer just mentioned, and articulate the strategic rationale for, two or for the two organizations or more, multiple organizations coming together, and to be honest about how the organization's strengths and weaknesses will complement one another versus lead to disagreement and division. Um, Jennifer noted a, a strong communication plan. The, you know, the C-suite is probably always going to, they're going to be closest to the deal. They're going to they're gonna know the talking points. But you really want leadership at all levels to be excited about, to have energy around, and to articulate to both internal teams and external parties why uh, this collaboration between organizations makes sense. Second, assessing the cultural dynamics of each organization and defining what the combined culture of the new co should be to enable the new strategy. Assume up front that there are differences and be open and honest about them and the challenges that should be addressed. And third, of course, is having a strong integration plan uh, with metrics tied to it uh, can really help a new co be intentional about more quickly realizing the benefits of a transaction. It should have critical steps built into the plan that include addressing organizational structure, culture, and leadership selection of the combined organization. And proactive planning then will enable the new co to achieve the combined organizational goals and to build a stronger collective organization that is more likely to succeed. 
Fantastic. Well, a lot of really great insights there. Jennifer, anything you'd like to add on that question or anything else you'd like to add that we haven't had a chance to cover for our listeners today? Thank you. I think we've covered a lot of ground. And as everyone who works in healthcare knows, there's just been huge change and uncertainty in the healthcare industry. And I think that that's unlikely to diminish. But as organizations continue to join together, the boards and leadership teams that focus on their people and culture dynamics, as well as the alignment of their business strategy, are more likely to win in the future. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate you both taking the time to join us here for this excellent discussion today. Thank you so much for for having having us. us. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely. And I'd like to also thank Spencer Stewart as well for sponsoring this episode. You can tune into more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page at beckershospitalreview.com.